Of course, you've heard this passage uh, many, many times, I'm sure, um, regardless of whether we are churchgoers or grew up in the church, um, the this is the passage that we've encountered many times, most likely at um, weddings. Uh, Weddings are often thought to be the most exquisite expression of love. We can see love uh, walk down the aisle and uh, be joined to another person. Um, we can see love there. Did you know that we can also see love um, in our brains? Well, not exactly seen, but we can see what love triggers. It triggers neuro neurotransmitters and it activates physical hormones in our brain. One researcher um, asked newly in love couples to have their brains examined, and they discovered that they had the same high levels of dopamine that cocaine users had. Another showed that serotonin, uh, another of one of these um, neurological transmitters, these um, hormones, emotional hormones, um, Another showed that serotonins in new lovers match that of OCD patients. It's why you continuously think about your new love interest. And then there's oxytocin, which is called the attachment hormone because it is high in couples who are bonded together and happy and uh, in new moms towards uh, their babies. Uh, in fact, this shows up in animals too, sheep, and rats who are deprived of oxytocin will reject their young, um, but injecting rats with them causes them to snuggle with and care for young rats who aren't even theirs. Love, as it turns out, is essential to life. It's essential to happiness. And love, as we know, lies at the very center of the biblical story and the biblical ethic. But we also know that while love does feel good, it may even keep us happy and grounded in stressful situations. The actual practice of love is enormously difficult. In real relationships with your spouse, your parents, your roommate, your teacher at school, a boss at work, someone on the other end of a rather unflattering or even a mean email. To be known as someone in these situations whose love never fails, who doesn't boast or envy, who doesn't keep a record of wrongs. This is a different thing entirely than the stirrings of romantic love that spring up involuntarily. We almost can't repress them. It's also difficult, that is pra the practice of love because we talk about love in rather cavalier ways. We, we love going shopping. We love going to the beach. We love a certain kind of coffee or beer. We love spring. I love your new shoes. So it seems only natural that we sort of sentimentalize 1 Corinthians 13. And maybe we imagine the Corinthians hearing these words like we hear them at a wedding. Sort of, oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that warm? Doesn't give us feelings of goodness. But the Corinthians, they would have received these words very, very differently. Not just because they perhaps had a different understanding of the nature of love, 
certainly not understanding the chemical components that we do today, but they would have received these words very differently, not as a generic ode to love, but as Paul putting his finger on what was missing in the Corinthian church, that is love. What Paul is saying is that love is the antidote to everything that is going wrong in the Corinthian church, the divisions and the strife and the infighting, that love really is the solution. Now, Corinth was a church of extremes. They had more spectacular, sensational stuff going on. Paul lists prophecy and miracles, and we read in the other Corinthian letter about generous giving to the poor. But also at Corinth, there are more divisions. There's more pride. There's more jealousy, it seems, than just about anywhere else. And on in verses one through three, Paul kind of drops the hammer on them. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, imagine what that would be like, the wisest, most intelligent person that the world has ever known. If I have all of that, if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am Nothing, Paul says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So the Corinthian church in some way was knocking it out of the park in terms of spiritual expressiveness, in terms of spiritual gifts They were hitting home runs every time they walked up to the plate. And maybe, probably not, but maybe you're knocking it out of the park in your spiritual disciplines. You're going above and beyond on everything. You can do all of these things and still be an unhealthy person, still be a spiritual disaster. You can be an expert in church history. You've read all of the right theology books. But when these things are not done with love and in love and for love, these kinds of pursuits can actually inflict a great deal of damage upon the church. And a church as an institution can have a whole lot going on. It can be busy, it can be noisy, and it can be pointless. This passage is a a spiritual audit for all of us, as well as our church. What are we about? What motivates us when we get up in the morning? What are we striving for at work, at school, at church, in our relationships and marriages? is, Is it to give ourselves away to others and to the world in Love, or is it, is it to bank something for ourselves to accrue accomplishments that we can point to and lean on for meaning and identity? Is that what really, if we're honest, gets us up in the mornings? Without love, 
we are all just waking up every morning and banging a loud cymbal. We're making a lot of noise, but nothing we do will outlast us. Paul then gives us a couple of descriptions of what love is not. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Notice that it doesn't say love doesn't murder. Love doesn't rape and pillage. Love doesn't rob banks. That's in other places in the Bible. That's the, the Ten Commandments. This is far more subtle. This is, this is character, right? This is the stuff be- beneath the rules, the stuff below the surface. You can give your money away. You can be playing by all the right rules. You can be an incredibly moral person. And yet, do people find you impatient, harsh, easily angered, essentially self-centered? Do you find yourselves holding grudges? Do you secretly delight in others' downfall? Love, you see, isn't simply about avoiding certain behaviors. It is about intentionally seeking the good of other people. Verse 7, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. He's not telling us here, of course, to be naive, to put ourselves in compromising positions where we trust and expose ourselves to someone that we shouldn't. The word for trust is being committed to. It is being committed to the other person's welfare, which may in fact mean removing ourselves for a time from someone's immediate orbit so that they can't hurt us. And perhaps they can see the consequences of their behavior. It can mean at times speaking painful, uncomfortable truth to someone in order to save the relationship. Now, we got to be careful, of course, because speaking the truth in love has often been used as a pretext for clobbering someone with accusations and blame, maybe our own subjective criticism of them. For your own good, I'm going to tell you all the terrible things that I see in your own life. That's not loving. No, not with harshness, not relishing the opportunity to finally let them have it, but patiently, with hope, seeking someone else's good with your words. Sometimes this does mean speaking with them candidly and directly. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in this letter. He loves the Corinthians enough to tell them the truth that A lack of love may be indicative of a deeper spiritual problem. We read in the Gospels that whoever, I'm sorry, we read in 1 John, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Love, you see, is not simply 
described in the Bible as it is here in chapter 13. It's not simply commanded as it is here in chapter 13 and other places all through the Bible, but love is personified. Love is embodied. 1 Corinthians 13, the marriage passage, isn't simply a list of things we are called to, but they describe, don't they, God's own embodiment of love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Paul knew, in other words, what to say about love because he had experienced God's love for himself personally. He had met the risen Christ who, because of love, marched up that long, dreadful hill carrying a cross for Paul. We could walk out of here thinking, I must be more patient. I must be more kind. I must stop holding a record of wrongs. And these may be helpful for a time, but we will never be people who delight in these things until we taste God's love for us personally. What if we replace the word love with, with Jesus? Jesus is patient with you. Jesus is kind to you. Jesus is not easily angered by all of the ways that you choose to live apart from him and away from him. Jesus keeps no record of your wrongs. Jesus protects you. He has hope for you. His love perseveres for you. Even in the midst of you running from him or shaking your fist at him, his love perseveres. What you need this morning, what we all need, isn't simply to be more patient, to be more kind, to choose to put other people's actions and words in the best possible light, although all these things would make our families, our neighborhoods, infinitely more charitable and good. But what we all need, what I need more, is Jesus, because we love only because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would learn to love by learning how you have loved us, that we would rest in your love, that we would contemplate your love, that we would live in your love. Father, I pray that for everyone who has gathered here this morning, as well as for our church in town, whose objective it is to love the city of Portland and love everyone who comes close. Father, I pray as we open up this um, time, uh, or as the world begins to seem like it is opening up again and in town has a chance to begin meeting and ministering more publicly, I pray that everything that we do and will do is rooted in love. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.